Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Amen. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, a privilege to be a part of a family, isn't it? Yes. And so, you know what? Being a part of a family means that we be a part of a family. And so, you know, if my, in fact, my daughter's getting ready here in about six weeks to move to Northern California, and uh, we're wrestling that through. And so I know if my daughter, which she is, were moving, I would be laying hands on her. And so she's a part of the family, and uh, you're a part of my family, and it's a great privilege. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to be starting in verse 14. I am really going to go through, i got to plow through a lot of information today. So um, you just stay with me, and we are going to be speedy Gonzales. Amen? <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse number 14. The Bible says these words, For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of, a bond, of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now let me say this before we get really going here. This this is a very, very important portion of Scripture. This passage, in my mind, in my opinion, which you could take that for whatever that's worth, is probably the most important. And the reason why is because it's in this passage of Scripture that God reveals who we are. He also reveals who He is. But He also tells us what this is all about. He, he tells us, I've got a plan. And He's reassuring us, He's showing us that there is something very powerful about His interaction in our lives. Can you say amen? And so God doesn't just leave it to chance. He doesn't just leave it to that we would just stumble over it. But he's very clear. He tells us, if you are led by the Spirit of God, then you are a son of God. And he says, look, you have not received the spirit of bondage or slavery or an orphan spirit that you would uh, uh, be caught up and that you would be hindered and that you would be uh, uh, stymied. He says, but you've been set free and you've been set free with the knowledge that you in fact are a child of God. Now that means something. And you have to understand that that means something. The problem is, is lots of Christians today are going through life not understanding the power of who they are in Christ. Let me tell you something. The moment you begin to understand your identity, it will change things around you. Yes. No, you didn't get that. You, you, I know you didn't get that. There are things in your life you are struggling with. There are things that you want changed. There are things that you don't know why they're not working out. The moment you embrace your identity in your heart, not just intellectually, but in your heart, you embrace your identity as a child of God, that in itself has power to change the things around you. It will bring about a favor and a grace. It will bring about provision and and, and direction. It will bring about a change in the spirit realm around you that will affect people in your life. People that didn't like you before will all of a sudden start liking you. Uh People that were angry with you will start giving you grace. Blessing will come your way. Why? Because there is something attractive 
about a child of God. People may not even know what it is, but they're drawn to it. And so let me say this too. This is very powerful. So what I want to do this morning is I want to start where we left off if I can. Now, if you remember where we left off, I explained to you a dynamic in salvation that we really need to get. And, and I think it's a dynamic that many have either ignored or they have altogether missed it. Now, listen, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show you the scripture. I'm going to back this up through scripture. I'm going to show you how this works. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10, verse number seven, it says, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So immediately we begin to see that Jesus is telling us, he goes, I'm the door. And then in John 14, 6, he said, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what we understand very clearly is that Jesus is the door through which we enter the kingdom of God. Listen to that. Jesus is the door Salvation is the door through which we enter the kingdom of God. Now, a door has a specific purpose, doesn't it? What is a door for? Well, it's a door. It's a transition point. If I, if I were to go through that door right there, I would go from one condition, one atmosphere, one place to another. Now, if I, I said in the 830 service, and it's not so true right now, but if I were to go, from, go through that door, I would go from a place of cool and comfort, which is relative, to some hot, dirty alley. But the point is still the same. When you go through a door, you're transitioning from one place to another. And the Bible says that when we got saved, that we were translated. Listen. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says, He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So when we came to salvation, we walked through a door, the door called Jesus, salvation. And we went from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are no longer, because we've transitioned, we are no longer part of the world. See, imagine how crazy it would be if you walk through that door, standing outside. Now, I guarantee you, it is more uncomfortable outside than it is in here right now. This is kind of a living illustration. I know it's warm. I know it's humid. But I guarantee you, in the alley, it's even hotter. Imagine how crazy it would be if you were standing in the alley and saying, you know what, I wish they'd provide some air conditioning in this place. You're not even in it. You're not in the place. You're in the alley. You're outside. Okay, you've transitioned. You're not there. But that's what happens with Christians, doesn't it? We, we're, we, we, we still identify with the old world, the old life, the old identity. But by virtue of Christ, you're not there. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. I'm going to say it again. The power of sin has been broken. The dominion. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, you've been set free. The power of sin has been broken over your life. You get to choose whom you're going to serve. See, when you were in the kingdom of darkness, you had no choice. 
You had to submit. You were subjugated to this thing called sin. But Jesus broke the power of darkness and translated you into kingdom of his light. And he said, now you're free. And the only way that you can sin now is if you choose to. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But here's the problem. So many are content to hang out at the door that they never really experience the abundance, the grace, and the power that is the kingdom of God. See, we're content to hold on to old ways of thinking, never having our mind renewed. We're content to hold on to old identities that rob us of life, never knowing who we really are in Him. We're content to remain in prison, held captive by old habits and behaviors, never knowing the freedom of life in Christ. You know what the greatest tragedy in life is? Is having something so fully given to you that no one could ever take it away, but never enjoying the benefit of it. So many times we hear the stories of people who died in abject poverty. I mean, they were poor, poor in church mice, whatever, however poor a church mouse is. But yet when they die, the family goes in and finds a safe or they find a box or they look in the mattress and there's millions of dollars. We've heard stories of that. How about the story of when grandpa, you know, for years, grandpa wasted away in the old house, never had nothing, you know, went and bought dog food to eat. But then the family, the pa- uh, grandpa passes away, but the family starts going through things and all of a sudden finds an pa- uh, old, old painting from one of the masters worth millions of dollars. Right. And because either he was ignorant of it or chose to ignore it, he never enjoyed the benefit of it. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you today, that is the epitaph of many Christians today. Yes. Is because what happens is, let me tell you, the kingdom of God, listen, Listen to me. The kingdom of God is fully yours. It is fully yours. The Bible says, Jesus said this, he said, fear not little flock, for it is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All of it. Not just a piece of it. You don't have just your little corner or your little cottage in the back 40. The whole kingdom is yours. Are you hearing me? But if we don't know it or embrace it, Guess what happens? We cannot enjoy it. And so what we do is we hang out at the door. Can you imagine? Imagine if you had the money to buy a 25. You had, you're a multimillionaire, and you have the ability to buy a $25 million mansion. And I'm talking about the kind of mansion that has a bowling alley. You know, it has one room that has a trampoline. You know, the, I'm, I'm kind of thinking Bill Gates right now. If you don't know it, go look online. Bill Gates has a trampoline room. It's, the floor is a trampoline. That'd be a great house to live in. You know what I mean? It's a, you know, it's, everything's automated. He talks to the walls. And, you know, if you get lost in his house, you just say, hey, sir, where am I at? You know, and, it, and it'll just tell you where you're at. You know, it, it'll locate you. Imagine if you had that kind of house, but you never left the foyer. No, no, I'm good here. Look, I, I got my sleeping bag right here. I got my little igloo cooler, keep my sandwiches cold. You'd go, you're nuts. You're, you're crazy. But the, you know what? <laughs> there are so many Christians living in the foyer of the kingdom. And they never know what God's given them. My hope 
is that you would explore all that God has given you through salvation as a child of God. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, look what the Bible says. The Bible says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow. Think about this. This is Paul's prayer. He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. What is his will? What is this wisdom and spiritual understanding? It's who we are in Christ. It's our identity. It is who he is to us. And the only way that we can fully be pleasing to him is to embrace the identity that he has given us. To walk in that knowledge, in that wisdom, in that spiritual understanding. And it is through that that we become pleasing and fruitful in every good work. See, sometimes you can look at this with a wrong perspective. You can look at this harsh and say, God wants you. You better be pleasing him. And you better go get fruitful. And that's the way a lot of people take it. And it's like, oh, dear God, I, I, am I pleasing God? How do you please God? Why? Well, I need to figure out how to please God. <laughs> Let me tell you something. God was pleased at you a long time ago. Right on. See, here's what I don't understand. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Now, something really weird happens to Christians or people when they get saved, when people become Christians. Because, see, before, we all celebrate how much God loves the sinner. But the moment we get saved, we make one little mistake, and God's mad. Better watch out. Lightning's going to fly. Why does God change his position when we get saved? He loves, while I was out sinning, when I considered nothing about him, when I'm doing my own thing, I'm running amok, living any way I want, God loves me enough to die for me. But now I get saved, and I happen to miss Today's Bible reading, my daily bread. I didn't pull my card out of the little loaf. And God's mad. How is that? That's because we have a wrong understanding of who we are and who God is. Listen to me, church. If you're content to live at the door, you will never venture beyond the point where you came in. And you will remain an orphan. And you will be held captive by slavery. And in the end, you'll never really enjoy the blessing of what Jesus paid for you through his death and resurrection. Listen, God did not create you to be an orphan. Are you hearing me? He created you to be a son or a daughter. He created you to be a child of God. And what we need more than anything is a desperate revelation. We need a revelation of who we are. We don't need info. We need a revelation. It needs to be heart. You see, there's lots of people that can articulate better than me what a child of God is. It's one thing to articulate it. It's another thing to be it. Are you hearing me? And the only way we can be it is by embracing the revelation. It's the only way to freedom. Now, what I want to do, I want to take a little bit of your time, and I want to look a little bit at the orphan heart. 
And the reason I want to do this is because I'm not, this subject, one of the things that I've come to the conclusion of is this subject is so big that we're not going to pull it off in one sermon. Not two, not three, not 50. Okay, so this is a subject we'll probably be studying for a long time in various different ways. Okay, from various different positions. But today what I want to do is I want to take and I want to look at the orphan heart versus the heart of sonship. I want to bring that in comparison. And even today, we're not going to get through all of those things. We're going to probably have to do this in two services. But I want you to pay attention here because there's something that's being said. Because here's the problem. So many of us live as an orphan, but we just don't know it. And the reason why is because... It's really hard to tell because we live with it. See, the world applauds the orphan spirit because it recognizes it. It identifies with it. And it goes, that's cool, man. That's, that's great. That's good quality right there. But I want you to listen as we go through this and look at the comparison between the two. Okay. So that you can understand, so that you can identify. Because see, in church, it's difficult to tell whether a person has a heart of an orphan or the heart of a son. Because sometimes we clean up well on the outside. We look good because we got it down. Because see, that's what an orphan heart will do. See, an orphan heart ain't going to let you know it's an orphan heart. Why? Because orphans hide. This is good, man. I love this. You know why I like this? Because this nails me right between the eyes. My wife is over there. Yes, it does. She's yelling, amen. What's up with that? So I want you to hang on with me because I'm going to try to get, I know it's hot and I'm going to try to get through this. First off, you got to think about this. Orphans see God as a master whom they must appease continually. See, they feel that they have to pray more, read the Bible more, work harder to earn God's notice and favor. It's, it's kind of like this. I, the way I showed it is, I want you to think about this for a moment, because we do this, and we've all said it, and we even feel proud in saying it. It's like, you know what? I really need a miracle, so I'm going to really hunker down and pray. Here's the subtlety of that statement. We're not hunkering down and praying because we're praying to a God that hears his son who's in need. We're hunkering down and praying in order to earn a point. So the magic wheel shows up on us. It's kind of like my credit card. I was sharing with the first service. I have a credit card that gives you points. But it's really discouraging when you figure out how much you've got to spend. Yeah, right on. You know, I've had this one credit card where I've been saving the points for a lot of years, seven, eight, I don't know, ten years. I've been saving the points because I want a free airplane ticket. I don't know where I'm going, but I want a free airline ticket. And so over the years, I've, you know, used that card a lot. And I got 55, 54,000 points on that card right now. Do you know how much 54,000 points is? 229 bucks. You can't fly very far with that. It's like I've been doing this. I am laboring to get these points so that I can get an airplane ticket. Actually, it's not the ticket I want. I want an upgrade. Right. I've been upgraded before. One time, Pastor Alex was able on a trip to Africa. He was able to upgrade us. And I'm telling you what, going from coach to business is worth it. 
Going to business class, it's like going from a Volkswagen to a Cadillac. Let me tell you, when you go, instead of turning right, you turn left. You know, right is, biz, is, is coach. It's like, squeeze in there, you cattle. Going here, the, the stewardess, she, as soon as you go through the curtain, it's a magic curtain. And you go through, and the first thing they do is they hand you a hot towel to wash your hands. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, that feels good. Would you like a fudgesicle? Yes, I would. How did you know? Would you like a popsicle? I want everything you're giving. Just keep her coming. Don't stop. You don't even have to ask. And then you get this great big wide seat that's got a footstool and you got a 12-inch screen TV instead of this little tiny postage stamp. And, you, and, and, and everybody's a lot nicer. And the guy you're sitting next to, he's, you know, he's a lot nicer. Oh, it's wonderful. That's what I want. I, I want an upgrade. But you know how much money I got to spend? So I get out there and say, by God, I'm going to get this done. But that's how we treat God. That somehow I got to earn enough points in heaven to get my prayers answered. And it's like, well, if you did more, you do more, do more, do more, do more, do more. That's an orphan heart. Because to an orphan, God is not a master. He's a taskmaster. Right. Are you hearing me? Now, a son, on the other hand, sees God as a loving father who accepts him unconditionally. And listen, they know that the unconditional love they have is never based upon the performance of the one receiving it. It's upon the nature of the one giving it. Yes. Are you hearing me? They don't have to strive. <clears throat> they don't have to act in a certain way to earn the Father's love. They know he loves them. He loves them. He cherishes them. And he said, it is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom or pay the electric bill. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Second thing, orphans tend to be or are independent and self-reliant. Now you'd think, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Don't we raise our kids to be independent and self-reliant? Well, yes and no. It's all about perspective. Yes. Think about this for a moment. See, people that are independent and self-reliant, they depend on their own gifts, their own talents, their own intellect, their own anointing. They are convinced that they cannot trust anyone else, and they don't, and if they want anything, they gotta get it themselves. And if anything's going to be done right, well, then I just need to do it myself. That's an orphan heart. Sons are interdependent. They know they need the community of love. They know they need the community of love that God provides through the body of Christ. They know that they're a part of something that's even bigger, and their interdependency allows them to open up for the love of the Father to flow through them and others. And sons are completely dependent upon their father. They understand John 15, 5 that says, I know that without him, I can do nothing. But with him, anything is possible. 
Orphans live by the love of the law. Like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, orphans try to relate to God on the basis of their obedience to laws, principles, rules, and regulations. Well, wait a second, Pastor. I, I thought being obedient is what you wanted us to be. I thought being it's how you get to obedience is the question. See, orphans value obedience more than relationship. Listen to what I'm saying. Sons, on, however, they live by the law of love. They value truth knowing that the greatest truth of all is living to receive the Father's love and giving it away to the next person they meet. Sons understand the biblical truth. Love is the fulfillment of the law. See, what about that scripture pastor says, if you love me, you you will obey me. Look, there's two ways to look at that. If you really loved me, you'd obey me. See, this is... See, if you love me, then you're going to prove it by obeying me. That's very akin to a teenage boy looking at a teenage girl saying, if you loved me, you would sleep with me. That's actually manipulation. Or with the heart of a son, because you love me, the natural flow is obedience. From your love flows obedience. Rather than through your obedience, you show me you love me. Do you see the subtleness? Do you see how that can become so dangerous? Look at Romans 13.10, if we can. I don't know if it's there. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Are you hearing that? See, orphans are insecure, but usually become quite adept at covering it up. Sons, in contrast, are at peace and are at rest in the Father's embrace. See, orphans strive to act right, to do enough, and rarely do they find inner peace and rest. And for orphans, they're usually filled with uncertainty and fear. They fear trusting, they fear abandonment, and they fear intimacy. But sons are secure in their relationship with the Father understanding the work of grace in them. Orphans are desperate for approval. Now we know approval is necessary. We all crave it. We all want to be accepted. But orphans are addicted to it. And they strive for praise, approval, and acceptance. And they'll do almost anything to get it. Amen. Sons are not influenced by that because they know they're totally accepted in God's love and justified by his grace. Are you hearing me? Orphans serve out a sense of personal achievement. In other words, when they go to serve, when they go to operate, when they go to work, when they go to do something, they're doing it because they want to impress God. Or they want to impress others. And what this does is it takes on the form of hyper-spiritual activity. Orphans serve expecting something in return. The problem is is they become so tired and so cynical in the process that they end up burning out and becoming apathetic. Because there's never enough. There's never enough. Sons, on the other hand, joyfully serve out of of motivation deeply driven by the sense of gratitude. 
They do what they do because they're so thankful for what he has done. Are you hearing me? Orphans view the Christian life from a skewed point or a skewed form of duty. That I got a duty. I have a duty to obey. I have a duty to be, to read my Bible, to pray, to study, to fast, to witness. It's my duty. Once again, it's all about earning God's favor. Do you notice something? Do you notice a common denominator in that? Do you notice they're traveling? They're, they're trying to get God's attention. They're fighting, like we said last week, for something they already have. Are you hearing me? Well, isn't reading the Bible good? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Prayer is good. Yes, absolutely. See, look, at it would be, it would be like this. What if I got up here and said, you know what? Yeah, I got a, I got a duty. Yeah, I got to go home. This night. What I got to do is I got some stuff. What are you, what are you doing? To, well, I got to sit down and talk to Kathy. Well, what are you going to talk to her about? Is there a problem? No, 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 no problem. It's just I got her scheduled. Every Sunday I pen her in for one hour. So drag, I got to do, I know, you know, and sometimes the air conditioning ain't working and it's hot and, I, and the lights are on the fritz and I don't know what they're doing in the back and I, I'm like, oh God, what? but I got to talk to her. How is it in every other point of life we look at that and we go, that's just insane. Yep. But when we get it to God, it's like, well, I'm not going to church today. You know why? It was like 400 degrees in there. I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, stick a fork in me. I'm done. I ain't going. And meanwhile, Jesus died in a hot sun. Exposed. And you know what? Somewhere along the line, because of the fact that that it's our duty, we just just do. Wait a second. It's not duty. It's a joy. It's a privilege. I get to talk to my father. I get to commune with him. And you know what? Sometimes what I do is I don't even talk. You know, when Kathy and I were dating, we would talk for like five hours on the phone. And we never had even close to enough to say for five hours. Sometimes we just listened to each other breathe because it was enough just to know that she was connected to a wire that was 42 miles long. It was enough. Why? Because she was enough. Right. See, sometimes when we go into the presence of God, we need to just be there. We just need to breathe. Listen to the Father. Breathe in your life. It's not a duty. I get to go into the very throne room of God. Push angels out of the way. Well, I don't know about that. But. So get out of the way, man. I'm a son. What are you? I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. That's arrogance. That's, that's more of an orphan heart. That, But what I'm saying is, you know, I'm so far off my notes right at the moment. This sermon's going, it's going sideways on me here. It's really hot. If you think it's hot out there, you ought to try being under the lights. My mind is starting to go a little crazy. Here's the point. Look at, I'm, I got to finish this thing. Listen what he says. John 5, 39 and 40 says, you search the scriptures because Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. It says, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is in these that bear witness of me, and you are unwilling to come to me, that you may have life. Jesus was perplexed here. He goes, you are searching, looking, laboring 
in the scriptures trying to find eternal life. Well, eternal life is standing right in front of you. And all of those scriptures point to me. Not much has changed. We just don't call you a Pharisee anymore. <laughs> wow, now he's getting punchy. He's really warm up there. <laughs> Look at It's because our heart has a wrong perspective. Orphans believe they must be holy to be accepted by God. After all, it says, be you holy for our God is holy, right? For I'm holy. I believe the, probably the correct way to say that is, you can be holy because our God is holy. <laughs> and you're his son. Like, like father, like son. See, when we have an orphan heart, we believe we need to be completely pure in order to win his favor and to avoid his judgment and wrath. I can't tell you how many times people will, 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 will come to me saying that God's mad at me. Why? Why? Great question, why? Why is he mad at you? Well, you know, I blew it the other day. Well, that ain't the first time. And it probably won't be the last. And I don't think he's mad. I think he loves you. And so what happens is when we strive for holiness through labor, trying to be, when holiness is a goal rather than a platform, when holiness is my goal rather than who I am, what happens is I become guilty and shameful because I continually fail at holiness. Well, what are you saying to me, preacher? I'm saying that because we're sons, I'm just like my father. Because of my faith in him, he gives me his righteousness and his holiness. And through that, I am empowered to live my life from the platform of holiness. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? What does that mean? It means the goodness, the loving kindness, the grace, the mercy of God. That's what brings you to repentance. Yeah. Not this demanding, hardcore, rule laden perception. Go on from there. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. Who's teaching us? The grace of God. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. Look at, we're not taking, by this, this thing, we're not taking righteousness and holiness and good works and all of that off the table. We're just coming at it from a lot better perspective, a lot more healthy. Realizing that it is my identity as a son that gets me there. That changes it all. Rather than coming at it from the idea of a slave I'm a son, and as a son, I'm empowered to be everything he calls me to be. Amen. Are you hearing that? Yes. Finally, as we close, Jason's coming, I hope. 
to play the piano if it's working. <laughs> a little sarcasm there. Uh, we got to preach a sermon called Sarcasm, the Language of the Devil. <laughs> Finally, in closing, orphans generally possess a low self-image. They carry an attitude of self-rejection. They constantly believe they're getting the short end of the stick. And they're always aware of other people's blessing more than their own. Sons feel positive and affirmed because they know how valuable they are to their father. You know, I was thinking about this, and I'm, I'm just bringing this to a close here. I was thinking about Andy. We asked Andy to be the MC today to do the offering and the baby dedication. And, and I have to say that I was proud of him. Amen. You know, I, and, and I was sitting there and I was watching him. At first, I was kind of like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. It's hot. It's, you know, you can't, you can't get a preacher up doing the offering because he wants to preach. And Andy is definitely, he's, Andy is not short on words. But he did a great job. And you know what? He, he, I see in him the investment of my life. And I'm proud of him. And I cannot tell you, and I, I look at my son Jason, and I, I was watching him today sing and, and, and watching him lead worship. And, and then I was, my daughter's not here. She's at work right now. But I was thinking about my daughter. I was thinking about the fact that she's six weeks going to Bible school. And I was thinking about my family and the investment, and I cannot be, as a father, more proud. I think about my daughter-in-laws who have come alongside their husbands, Jason and Andy, and are partnering with them in ministry. And now, little Oliver, who's coming up, and little Titus. Titus, Jason sings worship songs to Titus to go to sleep. That's just mind-blowing. What's his favorite song? Come to the altars, Titus's favorite song. He's one. What does he know about an altar or the need for it? It's his favorite song. And little Oliver, have him pray for you one time. Miracles happen with that boy. He doesn't have a big flowery prayer. He just goes, be healed. <laughs> Go figure. He doesn't close his eyes. He's not even bashful. He just goes up and, hey, can you pray for me? Yeah, build. Or he'll say, Jesus, heal. And it's, and it's like, Jesus moves. It's like, wow. It's like, man, I need that. We need that little guy up here. But I'm proud of that. And, and I look at that. Now, let me ask you, do you think they've made mistakes? Yeah. Every day. Are there moments when it's like, I'm going to go bald because I'm going to pull my hair out because of you people. Every other day. But you know what? As I look at them, the identity of who they are and what they are in Christ. And, I, and you know what? God calls that love in comparison to his. He calls that evil. God loves us so much, church. And we are so valuable to him. Because we're his kids. Can you say Amen. Praise God. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you so much, God, for your goodness. We thank you for this revelation. And Lord, though we didn't have a whole lot of time today to get this done, I pray that you take these words. 
Lord, that you would penetrate hearts and lives with them, Lord, that people will receive exactly what they need to receive. Lord, that their hearts and their minds and their spirits, Lord, their perceptions would be changed to see who they are differently, to see who you are differently. Lord, that we would live our lives as sons and daughters and not as slaves, not as orphans. And Father, we we pray that we would know and walk in your goodness. And Father, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. You know what? God is so good, isn't he, church? He is such a good God. And let me me say this, just this kind of way of promotion. Pastor Alex is going to be preaching another sermon on the goodness of God, a, a companion sermon to the one he preached a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. And you really need to come. Come on out and hear about the goodness of God. Our God is a good God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's, here, let me put it the way it should be. The goodness of God changes our mind. It's the goodness of God. Isn't that wonderful? We serve such a good God. Our ministry team is coming now. Just stay put. Don't Remember, we're kind of changing things up here a little bit. We're going to work kind of a little bit on a dismissal pattern. What, actually, what we're going to try to do is get to the point where what we can have is somebody come up and take over the service, dismiss you so I can get out fast enough to shake hands. That's the goal. That's where we're headed. So this is a process. We've got to kind of retrain ourselves. So being that that's been said and you've stayed put really good, stand to your feet. We're going to let you go. If you have a need of any kind, come on up. Let the prayer team minister to you. God bless you. We love Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.